This is Louisiana Considered on WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge. I'm Diane Mack. Just ahead on today's show, get ready for an energetic performance as Tina, the Tina Turner musical, opens at the Sanger Theater in New Orleans. And you'll hear why an uptown church in the Crescent City is attracting Mardi Gras revelers to its unique jazz service. But first... In the days since abortion became heavily restricted or illegal, pregnancy resource centers have been getting more financial support in states like Mississippi. These places aren't substitutes for health care, but in some maternity care deserts, they're one of the last remaining options for pregnant people. From the Gulf States newsroom, Maya Miller takes us inside one of these centers and introduces us to the unlikely person at the helm. On a corner of Main Street in Columbus, Mississippi, sits a beige house with a teal blue door. There isn't a permanent billboard yet, just a campaign-style sign in the grass that reads, Life Choices Pregnancy Care Center. This is the new location of one of nearly 40 pregnancy resource centers in Mississippi. Inside, it feels inviting, cozy. Everything looks like something you'd find in your home. Soft leather chairs, a Keurig bar, a well-stocked mini-fridge. Breastfeeding classes or labor and delivery classes. And there's something you don't often see at a pregnancy resource center. My name is Ray Campbell. I'm the director um, of Life Choices Pregnancy Care Center. And that's Campbell is one of the few men in Mississippi running a pregnancy resource center. He says he's here, at least in part, because of his mother. She used to volunteer at Life Choices. And so, you know, listen to my mom just tell the stories of just how wonderful this place was and, and how it worked and how God worked. That was it. He understands that he's in an interesting and rare position, a man who leads a center specifically for women. But he says he can offer some unique support. When uh, a father or a boyfriend walks in, when I walk around the corner there, all of a sudden it seems to be like, there's another male, there's another male here. Now, at 46, Campbell's been running the center for three years. Pregnancy resource centers steer women toward community support and resources and away from abortion. His team serves more than 100 moms each year, offering basic baby supplies, lactation support, and birthing classes, paired with Bible studies. We want them to be confident parents, be confident in their pregnancy. Life Choices operates in the Golden Triangle, an area known for tech, manufacturing, and aerospace industries in Mississippi. There are a few birthing centers and hospitals offering obstetric care in the Triangle, but it is surrounded by maternity care deserts where there are no health care facilities or providers specifically for pregnant people. The stats are similar for counties in Alabama, which border the Triangle. Not enough OBGYNs, not enough hospitals. And in Louisiana, about half of the parishes have low or no access to obstetric care providers at all. So it's very concerning for pediatricians, for OBGYNs, for those of us who take care of moms and babies. That's Dr. Anita Henderson, past president of the Mississippi chapter of the Academy of Pediatrics. Here in Mississippi, Our maternal mortality rates are double the national average. So how can we help these moms? What can we do? She says pregnancy resource centers have a role to play, but they aren't a perfect substitute for the moms they serve. They do not provide health care. They are not able to care for moms postpartum or prenatal. 
That type of health care is getting harder and harder to find in the Delta and other rural areas as hospitals and neonatal ICUs close. But at Life Choices, Campbell says he thinks more about what they can offer instead of what they can't. If you need the support, we're here to support you in, in your pregnancy and then two years after. Campbell says his center has clients who sometimes travel long distances for a visit, and some come over from Alabama. Most are lower-income women, and he says the center helps them navigate their options. Oh, I mean, we've had clients say, you know, I don't know if I can have a baby because of the cost. And we're like, but do you know about Medicaid? And they're like, oh, what is that? Nearly half of live births in Mississippi are covered by Medicaid, but that coverage expires 60 days after the birth of the child. Mississippi has one of the highest rates of maternal mortality in the country, and most of those deaths occur after childbirth. And with the state's near-total ban on abortion, that means more riskier births for moms in the region. Pregnancy resource centers like Life Choices are often criticized for steering women away from getting abortions. Campbell says they don't avoid the topic, but Life Choices is proudly anti-abortion. So we do educate. We do educate on abortion. We don't shy away from it. We tell them the risk um, of abortion, what abortion is. But then we also talk about adoption. So we give them all the choices. As states adjust to the reality of abortion bans, pregnancy resource centers, like Life Choices, may begin to emerge as the only options for some pregnant people. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Maya Miller. The Gulf States Newsroom is a partnership among public radio stations in Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana. A high-energy evening is in store for theatergoers as Tina, the Tina Turner musical, opens at the Sanger Theater tonight. It's an inspiring journey of a woman who broke barriers and became the queen of rock and roll. Roz White stars as Zelma Bullock, Tina's mother. Roz, welcome to Louisiana Considered. Thank you for having me. You are no stranger to the Crescent City, and this North American tour brings you back to your old stopping ground. What's it like to return to New Orleans for this tour? It's always emotional when I come back to New Orleans. I'm a Washington, D.C. native, and I lived in New Orleans from 2002 to 2005. I left in 2005, unfortunately, due to Hurricane Katrina, and I've missed New Orleans every day since then. But I've been back. This will be my third time coming back. And I always head over to Bourbon Street, see some of my musician friends, and hang out. And this time I get to perform at the Sanger, which I went to see shows at the Sanger when I lived in New Orleans. So it's just full circle and very emotional. Yeah. You sang at three clubs on Bourbon Street back in the day, and I understand you had two show-stopping Tina Turner songs. Tell me more about those. It was great. It happened by chance. We were doing a set, and our band leader, Jeff Tyson, from the Connection Band, called out Proud Mary. And I've known that song since I was a little kid. And right after Proud Mary, he called out, what's love got to do with it? And I was like, we're going to do it back to back. He's like, we're going to do it back to back. And I could, I, I swear I think I made $300 in tips that night. It was insane. <laughs> and so he just put it in the show. It just became a staple. <laughs> <laughs> what will you sing in this production? My song is I Think It's Going to Work Out Fine, which is an early Ike and Tina song. They put it in Zelma's dialogue as she's admonishing Ike to take care of her daughter as he's discovering her and taking her on the road. Ike Turner, yes, Zelma, you better treat my daughter right. Well, that was always a part of the plan. Because if you don't. 
So that's my song in the show. It's my big musical number, but it's also a big comedic number between myself and Ike, played by Garrett Turner. No relation. And uh, we just have a lot of fun. Delma is a firecracker. She is a pistol. <laughs> and I get to, you know, just be just funny and, and have a little sass. It's just a wonderful role. Yeah. Now, Tina was born Annie Mae Bullock in Tennessee back in the 1930s. In playing her mother in the musical, tell us, how does her story unfold through your character's eyes? Through my character's eyes, I am the woman who gave birth to this incredible spirit that we now know as Tina Turner. She was always singing and dancing and jumping, and she had the spirit in her in church, and her mother just didn't understand that. Zelma just did not understand how in the 30s, picking cotton in rural Tennessee, could there be that much joy. She just couldn't (laughs) understand it. And so she took the child that was a little less troublesome to manage and moved to St. Louis for a better life. She was escaping an abusive relationship that she was a participant in, as well as a victim of. Tina comes to live with Zelma at 17 when her grandmother passes away, and it takes off from there. Zelma meets Ike. Ike decides he wants to take Tina on the road. Zelma and Ike make a pact, and Tina's life unfolds through 16 years of a pretty rough relationship with Ike, but a, a remarkable career recording and selling out tours and finally Tina has had enough and Zelma encourages her to fight to whoop Ike's tail and to go out there and give the people what they've been waiting on and she doesn't look back. I feel that Zelma is the catalyst for a lot of Tina's movement throughout the show. These are Tina's memories as told from her mouth to our writer Katori Hall and she takes Tina's memories and crafts them into this beautiful story that starts with her childhood at seven and goes to her height of fame in 1988 in Brazil, (laughs) where she sells out a stadium with over 180,000 people. Wow. And I understand that there are two Tinas in this production? That's correct. It takes two (laughs) women to play this (laughs) role because it is that hard. So we have one woman for four and another for the other four shows. We do eight shows a week. So we have Naomi Rogers for four, and then we have Zorn Villanueva for the other four shows. And they both are two sides of the coin. Naomi brings the fire and the essence of Tina, her growl, her grit. And Zurin brings the long legs and the stunning stage presence. It's just an amazing way that both of these women capture Tina's essence. Now let's talk about some of the barriers that Tina broke on her journey to become the queen of rock and roll. What will audiences experience on the journey? On the journey, they will hear Tina's entire catalog from her days from Ike and Tina to her solo career, where she had her first number one hit, which was What's Love Got to Do With It? And that catapulted her to the superstardom that we know. But we also see her struggle through uh, racism in the Jim Crow era, uh, selling out these clubs. And then also in the 80s, she faced even more racism from the uh, record executives, the American record executives that she encountered in Europe when she went to seek out better career choices after being in Vegas. Now we know Vegas as a great retirement plan for a singer. You can totally have a residency and be great there. But back then, it was called the Singer's Graveyard. So Tina was there, and she's a pioneer in making Vegas a more attractive spot for singers to play when it wasn't that popular. Wow. What are some of the big hits we'll hear in this production? Oh, we're hearing everything from Fool in Love, which was her first record with Ike, to What's Love Got to Do With It, We Don't Need Another Hero from the Mad Max Thunderdome. We hear Better Be Good to Me, Simply the Best, um, Private Dancer, 
the hits just go on and on and on. And we even hear Nutbush City Limits, which Tina is very proud to have written all by her damn self, as she says it <laughs> in the show. It's great. It's really great. We've got a great catalog. What would you say endears audiences to Tina Turner? Definitely her triumphant spirit and that she was able to overcome insurmountable odds uh, from just being raised in a rural town where they were picking cotton to being in an abusive relationship with someone who completely, he gave her the name Tina Turner and then he manipulated and controlled and physically abused her for many, many years. It's the comeback of a lifetime story, I think, that endears people to Tina and her voice. She is the sound of our angst. She is our grit. She is our grunts and our groans as we push through life. And she makes it sound beautiful and she looks good doing it. So, I mean, who wouldn't want that? (laughs) Now, it seems that she and her mother both had abusive relationships with husbands. That's correct. Zelma fought with Tina's father and Tina ended up fighting with Ike. Yeah, part of the culture during that time, a woman was to be uh, told what to do, to be seen and not heard, to know her place, to be barefoot and pregnant. Um, and even through her being a superstar, I still wanted to have a control over Tina um, and, and where she went. And he never put money in her hand, which is why she ended up, after she w- ran away from him, after fighting him, to the hotel in Texas and only had 36 cents in her pocket because he never put money in her hand. He'd pay for everything, but he would never actually give her money, which, you know, is, is empowering when you have your own money, you can make your own decisions. But because everything was or signed for by Ike, financial abuse is what they call it. So there was all kinds. There was verbal, mental, emotional, and physical abuse and financial abuse going on in that relationship. What do you think audiences will find most inspiring about her journey? inspiring thing is that she never quit and that through her faith in Buddhism, she's a Buddhist, and when she was given Buddhism by another fellow member of the band, an Iket, that she was friends with, gave her her first set of beads for Buddhism and gave her the chant nam myoho Rengekyo, which is basically the principle that in your darkest moments, that's when you shine the greatest, and anything that needs to be changed, it comes from within you first. Nothing happens from the outside in. Everything happens from the inside out. So I think they will find it inspiring that she always looked back to her faith. She always looked back to what her grandmother taught her about looking to the ancestors for strength. Just a strong resilience and a strong resolve to overcome. Ross White is Zelma Bullock in Tina, the Tina Turner musical. This has been fun. (laughs) It's wonderful. Thank you for having me again. Tina, the Tina Turner musical, is written by Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright Katori Hall and directed by internationally acclaimed Felita Lloyd. Performances run through February 12th at the Sanger Theater. More info is online at broadwayinneworleans.com.
From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Diane Mack. Renowned New Orleans clarinetist Dr. Michael White and the original Liberty Jazz Band are gearing up for the 29th Annual Jazz Service presented by St. Charles Avenue Baptist Church. It is a -a one-of-a-kind worship service presenting a festival of hymns and spirituals in New Orleans' traditional jazz style. It takes place on the Sunday before Mardi Gras. Dr. Michael White joins us with all the details. Michael, welcome to Louisiana Considered. Oh, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, this is always a fun adventure. Can you believe it's been going on for 29 years now? It doesn't seem like it at all. I think this is my longest job. (laughs) So tell us, how did this free community event get its start? Well, some of the members of the congregation of the St. Charles Avenue Baptist Church thought that it would be a good idea for us to play, I think what they originally called a jazz festival of hymns, (laughs) Uh, or festival of hymns, because hymns are such an important part of the New Orleans jazz tradition. Certainly we play all over the world at church services, you know, and not as much in New Orleans. So, you know, that was the idea. And, of course, Sunday before Mardi Gras is a perfect time to kind of celebrate in a way of sort of bringing in Mardi Gras for everybody, put it into perspective. You're bringing Mardi Gras into the church? The idea of celebration The idea of remembering that, you know, yeah, we have parades and good time and all of that, but we also have to remember to celebrate the goodness of God, you know, all the gifts that he's given us, and keep that in mind during all this other other celebration. Mm -hmm. So what can visitors look forward to? What will you perform? Well, we perform standard traditional hymns in the New Orleans jazz style, both slow and fast. We also have vocals. And we sometimes do original pieces as well. We play songs like What a Friend We Have in Jesus, Over in the Glory Land, Lord, 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 You Sure Been Good to Me, and some of my originals like Sunday Morning and Dancing in the Sky. This has become quite an underground tradition for a lot of people, even people coming from out of town. It's become like what they say, the start of their Mardi Gras, the real start of it. I remember that day when you away and life seemed not worth living at all I went down to the shore and I heard a mighty roar and that's when things changed forevermore then I saw Jesus standing in the water and he told me that I must try harder now I live life so that's a good way to, to, to kind of lead into Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the original Liberty Jazz Band. Ah, the original Liberty Jazz Band is a group I started, believe it or not, back in the early 1980s. I use the word liberty for several reasons, but one of those was to kind of free traditional jazz from some of the stereotypes associated with it. And I first used a lot of older musicians. The original, original Liberty Jazz Band had people like uh, Chester's artist in it, who was born in 1900, who was a bass player. Uh, Louis Nelson, who was born in 1902 on trombone. Uh, Danny Barker, who was also born before 1910. Sadie Goodson, also in that generation on piano. And uh, 
I had a few younger guys like myself and Greg Stafford. So, you know, we've been uh, uh, going for a number of years. And when the older guys passed on, I, you know, just got guys of, of later generation. And uh, we've had a really, really good time uh, at the church. But I do have a couple of uh, really legendary figures in the music still playing with us at that service. We have Maynard Shatters on trombone, who's been around for many decades playing this music. And also uh, our very special uh, guest is Mr. Lawrence Cotton on piano. Wow. who is celebrating his 96th birthday. Wow. And he's still performing. And he's still performing. He still looks great. He looks younger than I do. <laughs> uh, he's a very blessed uh, individual, you know, and he's a great piano player and a great human being. So, Yeah. You know. Now, you said that you formed the band to take away some of the stigma from traditional jazz. What did you mean by that? Well, you know, there are a lot of different ideas and concepts of what is and isn't New Orleans jazz. And the original New Orleans jazz tradition is not the commercialized Dixieland that you see and people kind of sometimes think is it. I mean, it's, it's an older black tradition. It was dance music, but it was also a way of expressing freedom, liberty, and sort of was like a, a metaphor for American democracy. It was a beautiful, more spiritual music and not commercialized and showy as such, but certainly a lot of fun and emotional and danceable. What would you say will be the big takeaway for worshipers? From what I hear, people leave from the worship service excited, happy, ready to take on whatever else uh, carnival season brings. You know, at the end of the service, we have a, a king cake reception, and uh, we talk to the talk to the congregation, people that come out, and uh, we always have a good time. People from out of town meet people that become friends of theirs for years. There's a whole new perspective in the sense of taking on Carnival. You know, you leave that morning, there are parades later on, and you kind of get up and you feel, you know, refreshed and, and excited and alive. Acclaimed New Orleans clarinetist, Dr. Michael White, it's always a pleasure talking with you. Thank you. Pleasure being here. Dr. Michael White and the original Liberty Jazz Band will perform Sunday. February 19th at 9 a.m. at the 29th Annual Jazz Service presented by St. Charles Avenue Baptist Church, 7100 St. Charles Avenue at Broadway. More info at stcharlesavenue.church. That's S-T-Charles-A-V-E.church. WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Diane Mack. Thanks to our guest, reporter Maya Miller from the Gulf States Newsroom, Roz White from Tina, the Tina Turner Musical, and renowned New Orleans clarinetist Dr. Michael White. Our managing producer is Alana Schreiber, and our digital editor is Caitlin Umholtz. Our engineers are Garrett Pittman and Aubrey Procell. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at noon and 7.30 p.m. It's available on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcast.
Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience, with additional support from Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation.